and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm super excited for this conversation with my guest, Carrie Van Kirk. Before I tell you about who she is and what she does, I have to tell you how we met because we met in one of the most serendipitous, magical ways. It, it was like one of those moments where you're like, okay, this person was meant to come into my life. You know, she was meant to come and guide me and be one of my mentors. We met earlier this year in New York City, I think at the end of February. One day I was at work and I saw that someone had posted in a Facebook group that they were hosting a cacao ceremony in the Upper West Side. And I had never been to a cacao ceremony. I had heard about them and was interested in attending because I was going to a lot of women's circles in Bali and was really interested in gathering and community. And so I was like, yeah, I felt I just felt really called to go to this cacao ceremony. And so after work, I rushed to the cacao ceremony with these people that I had never met or had never really heard of. And I met Carrie there and this cacao ceremony was supposed to be like two hours long and it ended up being like six hours long and it was the most healing and most energetic like alive thing ever. It was so magical. I actually wrote a really long blog post about it. If you want to check it out, it's called On the Spiritual Flu and Energetic Upgrades. Check that out at mermaidmusings.org. But anyways, I met Carrie there, and she is a coach for people just like me, writers, creatives, spiritually minded women. And so we connected again in the summer, and she was my coach for a few months, and we had one-on-one sessions, and she taught me so much about my human design. And if you don't know what human design is, that's okay, because we're about to get into it in this conversation. She'll go over the five types of human design and how that relates to your creativity, as well as some of her story. But Carrie is just so amazing, so gifted and intuitive at what she does. And honestly, working with human design, I think I say this in the episode too, but working with human design has been one of the most life-changing and transformative practices that I've been able to delve into because of 2020. And really learning how to trust and live with my human design has just been everything. Because when you know your human design and you really live by your design, life just becomes super flowy and you're just totally in alignment. So You'll see, she'll explain all of the types, um, but a little bit more about Carrie. She is a multidisciplinary storyteller, energy untangler, human design guide, and soul-led coach for writers, performers, leaders, and deep creatives. She also has a podcast called The Cleaner I Get, orders nachos weekly, and is trying to choose between a hot tub and infrared sauna for her new house in Maine. She also loves TikTok. I love that. Honestly, if it was me, I would probably just get a hot tub, but that's just me. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for coming on the Creative Soul Podcast. Thank you for having me. So the first question I start every conversation with is, what is currently fueling your creative soul? Oh my gosh. 
The thing that's currently fueling my creative soul is really, we were just talking about this, but buying this new house. Mm. Um, I'm about to leave Brooklyn after 12 years uh, where I met my husband, Charlie, who's also a creative. He's a composer and drummer and musician. And we are buying a house where we can have a recording studio. So that is really exciting. And it's, it just feels to me like a total change of pace, right? Like we're moving from, I don't know, I don't know how, what, if New York is the biggest city in the world, it's probably not, but it's up there, right? And then we're going to this village that has, I don't even know how many people, like a thousand, a few thousand, maybe. And then there's all these villages that make up like the town and then there's the county. And so I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's going to be quiet. We're going to have this recording studio. I have this magic little office that's kind of perfect for writing, for yoga, for doing my healing sessions. It's going to be so different. And I am just, you know, trying to set myself up to prepare myself for that, right? Like place changes us, but there's also our habits and stuff. So I've been working on like, you know, I don't need as much social media. I need to like, I just need to delete the apps off my phone and I want to kind of create, go ahead and now create the space so that I go into it being able to really focus and, and be in my life as it's happening because Mm -hmm. it's such a, I want to really honor the transition, you know? Yeah. That's such a good point of like, coming back to yourself and quieting all the external noise and what a crazy life transition after you lived in New York for how long? For 12 years. So I came up here for college. Yeah. Wow. What brought on this transition and did you feel like a call to move where you're moving or what was that for you? It was interesting because, you know, in maybe in August with the pandemic, right, we kind of knew, all right, we don't, we don't know if we can take another winter in New York. Um, We probably want to leave. And what do we do? You know, my husband and I have always worked from home, worked from the internet, or at least for many years. And so we have like spent a month in Amsterdam or two months in Paris. So we were like, who will let us in looking at Airbnbs? Can we go somewhere warm in January? Like what are the options that we could do safely? And, you know, and we just, kept looking at things, hours of looking at things, and it just never quite felt right. And that's actually part of my human design of being an emotional authority. So we'll probably talk more about that later, but I know what it feels like to have not made a decision yet when it's, there's still this nervousness, there's not this clarity. So I was like, "Mm, you know, we just, we haven't made a decision yet. And we were going up to Maine for our anniversary. And my husband says in the car, he's like, I think we'll have a lot more clarity after this trip. Mm. I'm just like, that felt true. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll let it go. I'll enjoy the trip and we'll figure it out. We have plenty of time. Right. And so we're having such a good time <laughs> at our like cabin on the water for our anniversary in Maine. And we start looking up real estate listings as you do. And we found a place really quickly And we made an appointment. We saw it that Friday. And by that Sunday, we were applying for a mortgage. And so it was kind of out of nowhere, not completely out of nowhere. Like we knew that long-term 
there were kind of two paths for us, which was either that I would go to grad school in Amsterdam for theater and he would come along because he does some work over there as well with music. And we would try to do that and maybe try to live there. Or we would find a place in the Northeast where we could have a creative outpost, a studio, mm. and we just found the right spot. Yeah, it was just right time, right place, even though it was unexpected. We'll get into human design a little later, but I want to talk about your story because you're someone I look up to as someone who works with creative spiritual people. We've worked together one-on-one and, you know, what has your artistic journey been like and how did you come to do what you do today? Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, people talk about how the seeds of who you are are there from the very beginning. And I felt that from being a kid in the woods talking to like an imaginary audience and narrating my life from when I was like eight years old and then to being in theater school but not knowing who any actors are at all and only being really interested in the directors and the like acting methodology and reading Meisner and Uta Hagen and Stanislavski and being like those are my people (laughs) but I still thought you know so it's always there but then in my mind right we don't get the thing that we get told is like, well, success is being the actor, you know, is being the beautiful actress, is being the dramatic, you know, whatever's going on. And so I couldn't, even though like my teachers could see it in me, I couldn't, I couldn't see it, you know, when I was 18, 19. So basically I've been creative all my life. I did like a school TV show. So it was like writing and performing and doing theater and doing dance and singing in chorus and all of that stuff. So I went to theater school at NYU after doing my senior year at North Carolina School of the Arts, which was a really big deal because they have basically a boarding school and I was able to commute. But it was like going into studio classes as a 12th grader, which was amazing. Voice and Alexander and and all of the things. And I just thrive in that environment because I think for me, it was so much about truth and just allowing the emotional expression. I grew up in a family that had some secrets and had like, you know, well, we don't tell our grandparents this and we didn't tell Carrie that. And I kind of like assimilated into that self-censorship a little bit, or at least about like asking questions and my own emotionality. And so theater was like the safe space to let's talk about what's real. Let's feel our feelings. Mm -hmm. Let's explore what it is to be human rather than kind of cutting pieces off from ourselves that are not acceptable or not Christian or whatever. And so, yeah, so I went to NYU and then in that time period, I started writing songs and picked up the guitar and that became what flowed most naturally to me, writing. I was like writing a song every other week. I was sort of teaching myself this thing. And eventually that became more who I was than being an actor. And, you know, it was kind of a crisis moment because I was like, have I just been making this up my whole life? Like of, that I'm a theater person. Am I just not, am I not good at this? Like, cause I definitely was feeling that kind of pressure from studio as well. You know, in Meisner training, they definitely like break you down to build you back up. And I think part of it was I, you know, it is this truth of, I hadn't had a lot of life experience. 
And I wasn't very comfortable with myself yet. And so I think it's kind of one of these stories that I'm rewriting right now, because as I think about moving out of New York City and into a small town, I'm like wanting to get involved in theater again. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, maybe it's not that I'm not an actor. It's just that thing that even like Meisner training will tell you is that, you know, you need 20 years and you need some life experience and you don't have that much to go on when you're 18 and you don't know who you are and you like somebody triggers you and you like flip out and, and you can't handle it, you know? And I was definitely in that place of, I was either too rigid and like not able to express enough, not comfortable with myself, or if I would get to the emotion, it would be so intense that I couldn't, it wasn't part of craft anymore. It was really just part of like me getting triggered and re-traumatized, you know? And that's something that I'm really exploring now of all of the now that I've moved into like a more healing path, I love working with women who have been trained in the performing arts because there's so much richness there and there's so much to be healed from that experience. So to keep this kind of short, what I started doing songwriting in New York City, I was playing the subways and doing all of that. And then I lost my voice and I couldn't sing without pain. And that was due to a couple things. I did a one woman show about this eventually, which is bulimia, sexual assault. And that really at 22 sent me on this healing journey where I was like, okay, all my plans for my life are not gonna happen right now because they require my voice, whether that was acting, but really I was more in the singer songwriter place at that point. And so I got a job at a cupcake baked by Melissa, a mini cupcake shop um, and a coffee shop and like all the things. And I slowly started getting introduced to alternative healing modalities, to spirituality, to telling your story in a one woman show. So I ended up doing that later and, and then moving into coaching and facilitating others because Mm even if I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do, it was like creativity not being in my life. was not going to be an option. Hmm. Yeah. It's so cool to hear your story because you see like the moments where you thought you were going to do one thing and then life kind of took you down another path. And with you losing your voice, what, you know, could have been a terrible thing. And I'm sure it was in the moment and you had to go through all those emotions, but ultimately it's led you down to the place where you really need to be in the place where you really serve best. So it's really cool to see like how life works out that way. And I'd love to get into the process of writing your one woman show. And I, I feel like it must've been very healing for you to tell your story. And so take us through that process. And what was that like? Yeah, it was, it's interesting because even Before I lost my voice, when I had, so I had moved down, back down to North Carolina for a time to record my record. I'd done it, the Kickstarter, like the whole, (laughs) the whole thing of that time period, right? And listening to some marketing podcasts, probably, uh, it's, it's funny, I feel like it's my dirty little secret that I'm actually like, for a time in my 20s, I was really obsessed with marketing and And part of that came from, I'm going to be a singer songwriter and I'm going to do it on my own and I don't need a label and I'm just going to build this grassroots audience. So I need to know. Right. And so I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about, you know, doing the thing that only you can do. And that led to me thinking about a solo show because I was like, I don't really love 
playing music with other people. It's like not my thing, which actually that kind of wraps back around to human design as well, which we'll get into. But what do I have? What is my unique thing? And I was like, oh, I have this theater background. I have this storytelling background and all my songs are personal, you know, they're from my life. And so maybe I could create some kind of a show that infuses these songs and storytelling and is basically something that only I could do. And so then I lost my voice and I couldn't sing without pain and the album was supposed to come out and I did a few shows, but it hurt. And I just didn't know what I was going to do. And I basically had this, it's a funny story. I had this um, unfulfilled Kickstarter reward Uh, which was that I was going to do this like EP, like not only am I going to make you this album, right? But I'm also going to be for a certain level of support. I'm going to do another extra EP, right? Bad idea. Don't do that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Don't do that. Uh, But it's so funny being young. Uh, (laughs) So I had this EP that I like owed people and I had actually met my husband that year and we decided to make it together. And it kind of came to the same thing. I was like, okay, now I have this EP and I don't really want to put a band together. I, you know, how do I want to present this? I want to do a show. I want to tell part of the story. So I did my first version. I like kind of in a month, I sort of wrote it. Like I, you know, I talked to Jalopy Theater, which is a great theater in Red Hook, Brooklyn that I interned at and was an employee at for a while and got a date on their calendar. And I was like, okay, now I got to write the show. And so I did. And it was like a pre, you know, 45 minute, 50 minute version. My mom came up to see it. It was, it was great. And then I found this woman named Tanya Taylor Rubenstein, who's used to be a solo performance coach in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Now she does more memoir and we still work together, but she used to do these things called solo performance boot camps. And you would come out to see her in Santa Fe for four days and tell her your story. And she would help you craft it into an outline of your show. And so I did that. And you know, it was, it was a kind of a painful experience because my voice, my throat still hurt. Like even the, the 45 minute version I performed, like my throat really hurt afterwards. It was not great, but I was just like, I couldn't stop myself in some ways. And, you know, by the fourth day with out there with Tanya, my throat was hurting again. There was so much doubt. I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending this money? I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do this show like more than once, you know, we'll see. But I just knew that I, I had to. So I did. And basically the way that she works was you could have follow-up calls with her as you went through the script writing process. And so I did that. And by the next summer I had my script and I found a director in New York this woman Kel Haney who's amazing and I started some real vocal rehabilitation stuff with a speech therapist to help me and I really started just taking it slow and being like okay I might only be able to rehearse for like half an hour today or an hour max but I'm gonna do that I'm gonna keep showing up and do these like baby steps And so I did that until I was able to perform the show in August and September. And then I did it at a college. And then I thought I was going to, like, it was my plan at that point, even though my voice was still not like the most reliable, I thought I'm going to perform this at colleges and inspire young women about my story because it did talk about 
just like love and having sex for the first time and what, what are your boundaries and me not having boundaries and then having to learn and like to learn to say no and, and also finding my voice as a songwriter. And so I wanted to do that and got started on that path. And then I found this thing called narrative medicine, which was about healing through story. And it just drew me in so much that I applied for this program at Columbia, a master's, I got accepted and then I didn't go and, you know, but, but it was like, here's this thing because ultimately, and I think you've said this maybe even in the intro of your, of the podcast, um, which I listened to recently, that it's, for me, it's about the process. It's about the healing. It's about the growth. It's about the transformation. It's not necessarily about, I made this thing and now I I want to do it a thousand times in a row, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love this. I love all of this. First of all, when you said narrative medicine, that like got me excited, lit up that sacral, sacral. Yes. Which we'll get into. Um, yes. also, yeah, the process being healing in itself. And so I, I love all of that. And just the idea of like, your head was telling you all these different things. Like, why am I doing this? This doesn't make sense. My voice hurt. But then you booked the show. I mean, you booked it before you wrote it. So you took that initial action and then you got support. You didn't do it all on your own. You know, you worked with a coach, you worked with a voice specialist. And so that, that story just speaks to me and resonates with me of like, yeah, that's how we get things done. You know, you, you do it before you're ready, even when it doesn't make sense, you get help, you ask for support and you go through the process and then, you know, whatever it was meant to be, it'll, it'll be for you. So thank you for sharing that. And if you're ready, I'd love to get into human design because you are an expert in human design. You're a human design coach working with you and learning about my human design has been so probably one of the most like interesting things that I've done in 2020, because I always, I, when I try to tell people about human design, I say that it honestly just gives you permission to be exactly who you are and like understanding that you are made up a certain way and other people are made up a different way and neither of them are right or wrong. It just is. And so learning, like giving yourself permission to, kind of relax into how you're meant to operate. And that has just been so freeing and so affirming to me. So for people who have no idea what we're talking about, what is human design? Can you give us a little overview of, of what it is and stuff like that? Yeah, human design is this self-knowledge system that is fairly new and it's the most comprehensive, right? So it's like astrology is you know, centuries old and human design was channeled in 1987. Wow. And so it's relatively new, but it is the most comprehensive because it puts together astrology. It puts together the chakra system. It puts together the I Ching. It puts together uh, the science of neutrinos, which are like this, it's funny because they're not even quite a particle. That's why they're called like neutrinos. They have a special name, but it's basically like the essence that's moving through you moving through the planet when you're born. And that's part of that, like ties into astrology and then what are called gates in human design correspond to your genetics through codons because codons create different proteins. And the science of it is it's someone is like, that's their thing. That's not necessarily my thing to 
be able to explain exactly how all the protein coding works, but there is this correlation. And for me, I always tell people that I'm a practical mystic and this works really well with human design because human design is all about giving you a map of how your energy works with the world and then saying, hey, we've got some strategies for you to line up with how your energy naturally works. Try them out, experiment with it. And if it makes your life easier, awesome, like do it. You can flow better and you will reach your purpose. You will live who you truly are faster because you're actually lining up with yourself, but try it, experiment with it. And so that's kind of how I am, which is like, this is a pretty out there system that does have connections to science, but I experimented with it. It felt like the missing piece that I had needed for so long. And, and it helped me so much that I started, you know, wanting to study and be able to help other people with it. Wow. That's so cool. I didn't know that fact about the genetics and the protein coding. I mean, that goes, I always say that it's, it goes super in depth because there are so many things to understand and it's a lot, but I didn't know that aspect of it. So that's really interesting. Will you give us an overview of the five types? And I wanted to kind of talk about the five types and then maybe later we'll go into like how those relate to creativity. And maybe that's too broad because it really depends on the specific person, but maybe like a general overview. So the five types, it's kind of like, like Leia just said, like level one of human design. And there's like level one, level two, level three, level four, level five, all these layers of depth, which is how it can be like the science of differentiation because there's so much variety in all of us. And so it's really just scratching the surface, but it's the first thing you learn because it's kind of the, the broadest category. So the five types are manifestors, generators, manifesting generators, projectors, and reflectors. And it's all about aura type. It's all about energy because it's basically putting together your birth time and 88 days before you were born to give you a map of your energy and different energy configurations create different aura types. So the manifestor aura is is an aura that kind of pushes things out of the way. In terms of creativity, that was always clear to me. It was like, okay, if I'm going to do something, it's going to be something new that I came up with. I need to like push forward, right? I'm, I don't like collaboration that much. It's really not my thing. Uh, and I've always judged myself or used to, and still, you know, working on the pieces, but have a hard time because it's easy to judge yourself to be like, wow, you must think highly of yourself if you don't, you don't want to work with other people or whatever, you know, in terms of in a collaborative nature, but it, it's just kind of the way of the manifester, which is they have a direct connection from a, what's called a motor center to the throat, which is kind of, and a direct connection to sort of downloads from the universe that we all do. Right. But it, I'll get into how it works differently for different people. But manifestors, it's just like the thing comes in. Okay, I've got the energy to push it forward, to manifest it when it's the right thing. And so I'm supposed to impact people to start something new, to create a movement, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so that's about 8%, 8 or 9% of the population. And then most of the population follows falls into this generator and manifesting generator camp. And they're a little bit different, but the first kind of configuration is that 
generators and manifesting generators have this sacral motor. And this is basically like life force energy, it's vitality, it's this, you know, engine that wants to feel satisfied doing what feels good to be doing. My husband is a generator and, you know, he seems like sometimes he has endless energy when he's working on music, when he's doing the thing that he really, really loves. And that's kind of the vibe of the generator and the manifesting generator. They have an aura that's like warm, it's inviting, and it like brings people in. Some people call it sparkly, but it's just like when they're doing something that they love, they become really magnetic. Mm-hmm. And so the generator tends to... And again, this is like layer one. So I guess I just want to say that nothing in human design is meant to limit you. And if it feels limiting, then you can just say, you know, take what you like, leave the rest, again, experiment with it. But there may be other layers in your chart that explain why you feel not good about (laughs) one aspect of it, because there's something else that like speaks to how you are unique. Mm -hmm. But in a general sense, generators tend to be more interested in mastery. And so there's something that lights them up and they want to keep going deeper into it. And they will hit these plateaus that, you know, require them to jump to the next level in some way, which may be finding the right teacher or taking on a new challenge or just waiting until they find, oh, I I have been going in this direction and I just, it's just like slightly off. It's still, you know, towards mastery, but like this thing is lighting me up now. And so I need to just kind of switch or I need to up level or whatever it is. And then they kind of keep going. And then manifesting generators tend to, they have a quicker energy that tends to, they're like, you know, jack of all trades can, can be like, I get excited about this. I need to check this out. I get excited about that. Oh, wait, now that's over. Next thing. I need to check that out. And it's just one of those things that can be frustrating in our linear society. And, and I feel, I even feel connected to that as well, but it's, it's about getting what you need from that experience and then moving on to the next thing, because some people are more interested in mastery. And some people are like, well, I'm going to have mastery eventually, but it's going to be because I put this together and this together and this together. And I don't need more than what I needed from going towards that. So manifesting generators may do a lot of things in quick succession, or they might just do like multiple things at one time. And so as a whole, generators and manifesting generators are about 70% of the population. I believe generators are 37% and manifesting generators are about 33%. Oh, wow. And then projectors are 18 to 20% of the population and they tend to be the guides. They have, in terms of their aura, it's like focused and absorbing. So it just kind of like goes into the other person and can really see them. And they have this sort of bird's eye view and they can see what is best for the energy, what is best for other people. They have a harder time seeing themselves because they see others so clearly. And so for them, they often benefit from becoming an expert of some kind, learning some kind of system or learning, you know, just going really deep into an area that can then help other people. And it's interesting because creativity, you know, 
I don't think it should be limited. And I know some projectors are like, but can I, but what if I want to be an actor and I'm a projector, can I do that? Mm. And it's like, yes, yes, of course you can. Everybody can be every thing, but I do notice in projectors that often there is this desire to use their experience to help guide others, to investigate other people or, you know, to interview other people and, or to direct or to, you know, to write the play. And so ultimately it's about doing what's true for you, but it's just information to see, does this resonate with me? Does this feel right? Uh, And then I'll just go back to the generators and manifesting generators quickly. They're strategy is to respond to life. And so I do find often, again, not always, but often that generators are manifesting generators. They do like collaboration. They like bouncing things off other people. They like like getting inspired from the things outside of them is what like gets that motor going. Mm -hmm. And so collaborative environments tend to be supportive. And then projectors, it's really about them feeling invited, them feeling seen, them feeling respected and, you know, being honored for their gifts, right? So I guess that's a good example for a projector that is an actor, right? As long as they're obsessed with acting and the craft of acting and doing that, but they have limited energy. So they make themselves visible. If they get an invitation that has enough resources that really supports them and they're going to feel seen and they're going to feel supported, then that's a really good environment for them. But if they're like an actor and they're, doing cattle calls and they're feeling bitter and like no one sees them and no one appreciates them or respects them. It's not putting them in a good place, you know? So it's kind of about the how as well. And then finally there's reflectors, which are 1% of the population and they are fascinating. They have no definition, which means they're basically open. They're highly influenced by the moon and, but it's, but it's interesting because they are so open, but their aura creates this kind of shield as well, which allows them to sample other people's energies without getting taken over completely. Because if they were always getting taken over completely, that would just be too much. They can reflect other people back to them. And so I actually, I know a reflector who's a wonderful actor, but she's also a branding expert. And she can sit down with someone and really reflect who they are back to them. Because when she's with someone, it's kind of like her stuff, if she allows it, can kind of disappear. And she really responds and reflects back who they are. Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating, especially thinking about the idea of inspiration and where does it come from? Because that's something I think about a lot. But looking at each type, it's like inspiration comes in a specific way and it's about how you respond and like react to the inspiration. So for me, I'm a generator with sacral authority. So it's like when inspiration comes up, I do feel that that feeling of being lit up. Like even when you said the words narrative medicine, I felt that, I, I don't know if I truly felt that in my sacral area, but it, like, it's like, that's that's that motor that keeps me going. And so, just, I don't know, just thinking about the, the types yeah. related to inspiration is super, super interesting. Totally. And- that generator or manifesting generator, like confirmation from outside. Mm. Like even if you get an idea, the idea may or may not be the right thing for you to do, or it may or may not be the right timing. But if you allow it to come back to you from outside, from somebody else, from 
seeing, you know, a book that really excites you, you allow your body to make that decision rather than your mind. And really for all types, the mind isn't the authority for us. It's not, it's not what's guiding us. Uh, something else, something more embodied and deeper is guiding us. And that shows up in different ways for different people. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's helped me a lot throughout my creative process because I'm someone who one of my like creative blocks is that I have so many ideas and I don't know which one to follow and I don't know which one feels the most important. And like, sometimes I struggle with that, but in learning about my human design, I've kind of now allowed ideas to marinate. So like, even for this podcast, one day I had the idea for the podcast and instead of like jumping on it right away, I was like, you know what? I'm noticing that I'm having this impulse let's see where it goes. Instead of like reacting to it immediately, it felt like I needed to let it marinate and it kept coming up. It kept coming up. It kept coming up. And I was like, okay, this feels like my next thing. And this is the thing that I'm actually most excited about in this moment. So let's follow it. Let's see where it goes. And so that has just been super helpful in like sifting through all of the ideas that come through my head and, and picking out the one, okay, where in my body does it feel like a yes? And if my body says yes, then it's a yes. And so like really embodying that yes and feeling that yes through your whole body and getting those tingles and, and all of that instead of like kind of just jumping on the next thing. But that might be only true for me as a generator. Maybe for a manifesting generator, that might feel really different. So again, it's about like just trusting yourself and trusting that, you know, your body, your design, your you as when you get to know yourself better it's like again coming back to who you truly are because i think as people we take on we take on things from other people from society but like i think our truest path in this life is like stripping all of that away to get down to the core of who we really are and just giving ourselves full permission to be exactly who we are and so i just love that human design like shows you that map that blueprint in a way and just gives you permission to continually just live by your design and live by, you know, what feels the best for you. Yeah. And I think it's so important because, you know, when we're making decisions from our mind, when we're letting other people's ideas of what success means or what is cool, like take us off track, then we're basically just becoming more of the same, right? Everybody's trying to get the same thing. But when we can kind of take a step back and be like, okay, there's lots, like all the information, all the possibilities, all the ideas in the world are, are fascinating, right? And I have a unique energy that wants to be brought forth in a unique way. Hmm. So if I can come back to that, not attached to any one way is going to make me successful. Any one way is going to you know, get me where I want to go, but just coming back to what I truly have energy for mm. is what is going to get me where, you know, the deeper part of myself wants to go. I can have all these ideas about what should be happening. And yet at the end of the day, it comes down to what do I have energy for? Where is that truly there? Because if I don't have energy to, I mean, I'm using the actor thing a lot, but like, if I know that I don't actually have the energy to do acting in the way that it's been done for so many years, which is like the wait tables and audition realm, right? Then it's not, 
that's not the path, you know? Yeah. And, and it's sort of coming back and being like, okay, well, what do I have energy for? Hmm. Seems like I have endless energy for this healing work that has become really interesting to me or endless energy for learning about human design or endless energy for turning on a voice recorder and telling my stories and then kind of turning that into something and being like, okay, cool. At the end of the day, it's like, is my soul going to feel fulfilled? Mm. Yeah. I love that question. What kind of energy do I have for this? Like noticing like what is going to be possible for you? If someone is interested, how do people find more about human design? How do they look up their type? Where can they find you? Give us all of that. Yeah. So I actually have like an intro to human design little mini course that is on Teachable. And I am really happy to offer it to anyone for free who wants to email me sort of like take the initiative if you're excited about this because it kind of walks you through, you know, there are websites where you can get your chart, but if you get your chart through mybodygraph.com or Jovian Archive, you're not going to know what it means. Uh, (laughs) And (laughs) so it's sort of somewhat helpful. And then you'll go on a Google search anyway. So I've put together this course that tells you what you're looking at when you get your chart, goes into energy type, strategy, and authority. And so that's the baseline And it's kind of the stuff that we've been talking about today. And it will help you start to have a foundation that you can at least experiment with. Mm. And so, so yeah. So if anybody wants to email me, uh, we can put that address somewhere, but it's Carrie at KayloCreative.com. K-E-R-R-I at K-A-Y-L-O creative.com. Thank you for that. That's an awesome resource. And we'll definitely put that email in the show notes. And then lastly, I love sharing creative resources because I love to know what people are reading, what they're listening to, what's inspiring you as of lately. So is there anything that you can think of that you'd like to share with us? Gosh, you know, it's funny because this doesn't feel super creative. Well, there's a couple things. One is, so I mentioned one of my mentors, Tanya Taylor Rubenstein. She's developed over the years of working with solo performers and storytellers and doing therapeutic monologues and working with people in their books. She's created something called the somatic writing process. And it's wonderful. And I work with her in developing that. I work with her memoir groups and she occasionally has free circles. We've got some programs coming up, but I really love it because it is basically, it's an embodied form of writing. It is speaking, you know, allowing people to speak and then write. You know, a lot of writers feel like if I'm not literary, I can't, I'm not a writer, but it's really about the story. It's about who you are. And, and somatic writing also sort of layers in communication and connection to the land, communication and connection to your ancestors and to just the deeper parts of yourself, even writing from your gut, writing from your spleen, writing from your liver. What does that mean? And what stories are held there? You know, I do a lot of healing work in, in, you know, Chinese medicine and sort of energetics, different organs hold different frequencies. The liver is associated with anger and the spleen is associated with cleansing and purification and the stomach can be about worry. And so when we kind of approach writing from a unconventional perspective, we are embracing more of our wholeness. So that has been really cool. 
I've been working with her for so many years and it's been amazing. And I think this is just good for young people too, to realize that she's codified a process after decades of working with people and that good, strong things take time. And it's not that you can't, you know, I have a process that I've been working with people on and I'm like, that's so cool. Like, what's it going to look like when I'm 55, you know? (laughs) And it's, it's hard to think that forward. But then if I'm like buying a house and I'm like, I think we're going to be in this house for like the rest of my life. And like, that's, it's a different sort of thing around, around legacy and, and patience. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just so over the, like being successful on the outside, you know, for me, it's like, if I have creativity, if I have enough money, if I have love, Mm and my, I'm feeling fulfilled, then like, what, you know, that's, that's it. That's, that's the thing. Uh, So, but it's, everybody's different. Some people, if you've got a defined will and human design, a defined heart center, proving yourself is part of the deal. And you might, you, you might love the competition and the, the hustle and, and all of that. So, you know, again, everybody's different. This is just sort of what I've come to, which is that I don't, I have nothing to prove. It's, it's about, the inside. And then I would say the other thing is more political, but politics has been, is so important right now. And I was listening to these guys, they have a podcast called Con Spirituality. And it is, it's basically talking about the like susceptibility of spiritual people to conspiracy theories and QAnon and things like that. And you know, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but I think it's really interesting. And I was listening to something last night, a recent episode that was also just talking about liberal academia and these, these words we have, this jargon that, you know, comes from liberal academia and people that follow the most cutting edge intersectionality and the most cutting edge racism education, anti-racism education, all of this. And they were saying something I, that I, I think is really important and something I've been trying to understand um, because there's like, it's so awesome that people are going there and that we're having these discussions and we're looking about like how to heal your internalized racism. Like that, are, those are absolutely discussions we should be having. And then the disconnect on a policy level for the 70 whatever million people that are not in that camp that don't see it that way and it's like it's it's a perennial question for me i think being a a practical person is yes i want to be as cutting edge as possible i want to go for the most equality the most justice the most everything and here we are (laughs) in like a universe of duality a universe of shadow and light Mm -hmm. and what is the communication that will actually make people's lives better and make a difference? And, and I think, again, you know, it's, there's space for everyone doing their work in their way that feels right for them. And we can feel a lot of pressure that our work has to look a certain way. Our activism has to look a certain way. And yet there is this deeper truth within us. It's like, well, what do I have energy for? What am I uniquely built to bring forth for justice, for equality, for healing? And, and really honoring that and, and allowing that to be 
to be unique to you. And, and again, that sustainable energy thing, it's something I was thinking about a lot this summer, you know, if there's not sustainable energy for it, it won't last. Yeah. And so how can we work together to have the full range of people's experiences and background and knowledge and listen to one another and, and all of that. And then, you know, how are we making progress on a really practical level? How are we speaking to people's fears? Mm. Because so much is, there's fear on both sides for all reasons, you know, there's economic fear and there's, you know, health fear and there's all this stuff. And, and yeah, I don't know. There's just everyone, like I said, everyone has a different place in it. And I think that really exposing yourself to different discussions around Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. around social justice, around healing, around equality, and then seeing where, where do I belong in all of this? What, what am I sustainably ready to commit to? And then doing that and not letting all of the noise take you off of how you are meant to contribute. Wow. I, yeah, I love that you brought this up because this is so present right now in the collective and in my life. And I'm sure, you know, everyone listening, but I love that it, it does bring it back to human design and and asking the question, what do you have energy for? And that we all have roles to serve in this moment, in the moment that we're in. And it's not going to look like what someone else is posting on social media about. It's maybe your, your design isn't meant to show up in that way. So it's really about finding your path and your purpose, what feels best for you. And that's, that's a journey I really went through this summer of like feeling that pressure of, oh no, now I have to be posting all the time. And I realized that's actually not where my energy is best served. And that, I mean, I think working with you and, and doing some of my own work was so helpful in that in making that shift because I was really struggling and it, it, again, it wasn't going to be sustainable for me. I was going to burn out, you know, maybe build bitterness, resentment, something like that. But, you know, when you find the thing that you're most meant for, and you're really living life by your design, that's how we can change the world. And that's how we can work together. And so that's just another reason why knowing yourself and knowing human design is, is so important and so helpful if that resonates for you. So thank you so much for this beautiful conversation and for sharing all of your knowledge. And I hope people will take advantage of your free intro course because yeah, I think it's really important, especially at this time to really understand where your energy is best suited. So thank you so much, Carrie. And lastly, we have your email, but can people find you on Instagram or on your website? The best place is probably carryvankirk.com. And because I, I have a a in and out with social media, but if you want to contact me, send me a note, check out my website and I'd be happy to chat. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the creative soul podcast. And thank you so much for listening. If you liked this podcast, please feel free to send it to a friend and tell them what inspired you. Or feel free to connect with me over on Instagram at the underscore modern mermaid with your thoughts. 
And if you would be so kind to rate and review the podcast, I would love to gift you my guided writing meditation that will help you connect deeper to yourself, your creativity, and your spirituality. Just take a screenshot of the review and send it my way at the underscore modern mermaid, and I will send over the meditation. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul. 